Section four of Victorian short stories Tales of Courtship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Victorian short stories Tales of Courtship by Hubert Crackenthorpe et al. Anthony Garstin's Courtship by Hubert Crackenthorpe. Savoy, July, eighteen ninety six. Section one. A stampede of huddled sheep, wildly scampering over the slaty shingle, emerged from the leaden mist that muffled the fell top, and a shrill shepherd's whistle broke the damp stillness of the air. And presently a man's figure appeared, following the sheep down the hillside. He halted a moment to whistle curtly to his two dogs, who, laying back their ears, chased the sheep at top speed beyond the brow then his hands deep in his pockets he strode vigorously forward a streak of white smoke from the toiling train was creeping silently across the distance the great grey desolate undulations of treeless country showed no other sign of life the sheep hurried in single file along a tiny track worn threadbare amid the brown lumpy grass and as the man came round the mountain's shoulder a narrow valley opened out beneath him a scanty patchwork of green fields and here and there a whitewashed farm flanked by a dark cluster of sheltering trees the man walked with a loose swinging gait his figure was spare and angular he wore a battered black felt hat and clumsy iron-bound boots his clothes were dingy from long exposure to the weather he had close-set insignificant eyes much wrinkled and stubbly eyebrows streaked with grey his mouth was close-shaven and drawn by his abstraction into hard and taciturn lines beneath his chin bristled an unkempt fringe of sandy-coloured hair when he reached the foot of the fell the twilight was already blurring the distance the sheep scurried with a noisy rustling across a flat swampy stretch overgrown with rushes while the dogs headed them towards a gap in a low ragged wall built of loosely heaped boulders the man swung the gate too after them and waited whistling peremptorily recalling the dogs a moment later the animals reappeared cringing as they crawled through the bars of the gate he kicked out at them contemptuously and mounting a stone stile a few yards further up the road dropped into a narrow lane presently as he passed a row of lighted windows he heard a voice call to him he stopped and perceived a crooked white-bearded figure wearing clerical clothes standing in the garden gateway good evening antony a raw evening this ay mr blencarn tis a bit frittish he answered i've just been getting a few lambs off to fell i hope you're keating fairly and miss rosa too he spoke briefly with a loud spontaneous cordiality thank ye antony thank ye rosa's down at the church playing over the hymns for to-morrow how's mrs garstin nicely thank ye mr blencarn she's wonderful active his mother well good night to you antony said the old man clicking the gate good night mr blencarn he called back a few minutes later the twinkling lights of the village came in sight and from within the sombre form of the square towered church looming by the roadside the slow solemn strains of the organ floated out on the evening air antony lightened his tread then paused listening 
but presently becoming aware that a man stood listening also on the bridge some few yards distance he moved forward again slackening his pace as he approached he eyed the figure keenly but the man paid no heed to him remaining with his back turned gazing over the parapet into the dark gurgling stream antony trudged along the empty village street past the gleaming squares of ruddy gold starting on either side out of the darkness now and then he looked furtively backwards the straight open road lay behind him glimmering wanly the organ seemed to have ceased the figure on the bridge had left the parapet and appeared to be moving away towards the church antony halted watching it till it had disappeared into the blackness beneath the churchyard trees then after a moment's hesitation he left the road and mounted an upland meadow towards his mother's farm it was a bare oblong house in front a whitewashed porch and a narrow garden plot enclosed by a low iron railing were dimly discernible behind the steep fellside loomed like a monstrous mysterious curtain hung across the night he passed round the back into the twilight of a wide yard cobbled and partially grass-grown vaguely flanked by the shadowy outlines of long low farm buildings all was wrapped in darkness somewhere overhead a bat fluttered darting its puny scream inside a blazing peat fire scattered capering shadows across the smooth stone floor flickered among the dim shadows of ham suspended from the ceiling and on the panelled cupboards of dark glistening oak a servant girl spreading the cloth for supper clattered her clogs in and out of the kitchen old mrs garstin was stooping before the hearth tremulously turning some girdle cakes that lay roasting in the embers at the sound of antony's heavy tread in the passage she rose glancing sharply at the rock above the chimney-piece she was a heavy-built woman upright stalwart almost despite her years her face was gaunt and sallow deep wrinkles accentuated the hardness of her features she wore a black widow's cap above her iron-grey hair gold-rimmed spectacles and a soiled checkered apron you're very late tony she remarked querulously he unloosened his woollen neckerchief and when he had hung it methodically with his hat behind the door answered twas terrible thick on t fell top and them two bitches be that senseless she caught his sleeve and through her spectacles suspiciously scrutinized his face you didna meet wi rosa blencarn nay she was in church in plain wi loot stock hangin round the door he retorted bitterly rebuffing her with rough impatience she moved away nodding sententiously to herself they began supper neither spoke antony sat slowly stirring his tea and staring moodily into the flames the bacon on his plate lay untouched from time to time his mother laying down her knife and fork looked across at him in unconcealed asperity pursing her wide ungainly mouth at last abruptly setting down her cup she broke out i wonder you have na ma pride tony for who long are you going to continue setting moping and brooding like a sex sheep you just make yourself ill and then i reckon that you'll prove satisfied ay but i wonder you have no more pride but he made no answer remaining unmoved as if he had not heard presently half to himself without raising his eyes he murmured 
Luke be going south Monday. Well, you canna take up with his leaving anyways. It hasna come to that, has it? You don't intend setting all to parish a laughing at you a second occasion? He flushed dully, and bending over his plate, mechanically began his supper. Well, dang it, he broke out a minute later. Do you think I heed a cackling of fifty parishes? Nah, not I. And with a short, grim laugh, he brought his fist down heavily on the oak table. You're daft, Tony, the old woman blurted. Daft and na daft. I tell you this, mother, that I be forty-six year age this back end, and there be some things I will na listen to. Rosa Blencarn's bonny enough for me. Aye, bonny enough. And a patience wi' ye, bonny enough, tricked out in her furbelows and gallivanting wi' every roist prepareth. Bonny enough, that be all ye think on. She's been a proper parson's niece, the giddy, feckless creature, and, and she'd make ye a proper sort of wife, Tony Garstin, ye great fond booby. She put back in her chair and hurriedly clattering the crockery began to clear away the supper. "'Toos be mind, Lord be prayed,' she continued in a loud, hard voice. "'And as long as he spare me, Tony, I'll na see Rosie Blencarn set foot inside it.' Anthony scowled without replying, and drew his chair to the hearth. His mother bustled about the room behind him. After a while, she asked, "'Did ye pent lambs in back field?' "'Nah, they're in Allen Bottom,' he answered curtly. The door closed behind her and by and by he could hear her moving overhead. Meditatively blinking, he filled his pipe clumsily, and pulling a crumpled newspaper from his pocket, sat on over the smouldering fire, reading and stolidly puffing. Section 2 The music rolled through the dark, empty church. The last leaden flicker of daylight glimmered in through the pointed windows, and beyond the level rows of dusky pews, tenanted only by a litter of prayer-books. Two guttering candles revealed the organ-pipes and the young girl's swaying figure. She played vigorously. Once or twice the tune stumbled, and she recovered it impatiently, bending over the keyboard, showily flourishing her wrists as she touched the stops. She was bareheaded. Her hat and cloak lay beside her on a stool. She had fair, fluffy hair, cut short behind her neck, large round eyes heightened by a fringe of dark lashes rough ruddy cheeks and a rosy full-lipped unstable mouth she was dressed quite simply in a black close-fitting bodice a little frayed at the sleeves her hands and neck were coarsely fashioned her comeliness was brawny literal unfinished as it were when at last the ponderous chords of the amen faded slowly into the twilight flushed breathing a little quickly she paused listening to the stillness of the church presently a small boy emerged from behind the organ good evening miss rosa he called trotting briskly away down the aisle good night robert she answered absently after a while with an impatient gesture as if to shake some importunate thought from her mind she rose abruptly pinned on her hat threw her cloak round her shoulders blew out the candles and groped her way through the church towards the half-open door as she hurried along the narrow pathway that led across the churchyard of a sudden a figure started out of the blackness who's that she cried in a loud frightened voice a man's uneasy laugh answered her 
"'It's only me, Rosa. I didn't think to scare you. "'I've been waiting for you this all past.' "'She made no reply, but quickened her pace. "'He strode on beside her. "'I'm off Monday, you know,' he continued, "'and, as she said nothing, "'Will you stop just a minute?' "'I'd like to speak a few words with you before I go, "'and tomorrow I have to get over to Scarsdale betimes,' he persisted. "'I don't want to speak with you. "'I don't want ever to see you again. "'I just hate the sight of you.' "'She spoke with a vehement, concentrated hoarseness. "'Nay, but you must listen to me. "'I will not be put off with fretching speeches.' "'And gripping her arm, he forced her to stop. "'Loose me, you great beast!' she broke out. "'And I hold you if you just stand quiet-like. "'I meant to speak fair to you, Rosa.' "'They stood at a bend in the road, face to face, quite close together. "'Behind his burly form stretched the dimness of a grey, ghostly field. "'What's it you have to say to me? Have done with it quick,' she said sullenly. "'It'll be just this, Rosa,' he began with dogged gravity. "'I want to tell you that if any trouble comes to you after I'm gone, "'you know to what I refer.' "'I want to tell you that I'm prepared to act square by you. "'I've written out on an envelope me address in London. "'Luke Stock, care of Purcell and Company, Smithfield Market, London. "'You're a bad, sinful man. "'I just hate sight of you. "'I wish you were dead.' "'Aye, but I reckon what you'd have best thought of that before. "'You changed your whistle considerably since Tuesday. "'Now, hold on,' he added, as she struggled to push past him. "'Here's the envelope.' She snatched the paper and tore it passionately, scattering the fragments on the road. When she had finished, he burst out angrily. "'You cussed unreasonable fool!' "'Let me pass, if you've not more to say,' she cried. "'Nay, I'll not part with you in this fashion. You can speak soft enough when you choose.' And seizing her shoulders, he forced her backwards against the wall. "'You do look fine, and no mistake, when you're just ablaze with raging,' he laughed bluntly, lowering his face to hers. "'Loose me! Loose me, you great coward!' she gasped, striving to free her arms. Holding her fast, he expostulated, "'Come, Rosa, can we not part friends?' "'Part friends, indeed!' she retorted bitterly. "'Friends with a like of you. What do you take me for? "'Let me get home, I tell you, and please God I'll never set eyes on you again. "'I hate sight of you.' "'Be off with you, then,' he answered, pushing her roughly back into the road. "'Be off with you, you silly. "'You canna say I have no spec fair to you, and by gum, "'you'll na see me shally-wallyin' in this fashion again. "'Be off with you. "'You can just shift for yourself, since you canna keep a civil tongue in your head.' The girl, catching her breath, stood as if dazed, watching his retreating figure, then starting forward at a run, disappeared up the hill into the darkness. Section 3 Old Mr. Blencarn concluded his husky sermon. The scanty congregation, who had been sitting stolidly immobile in their stiff Sunday clothes, shuffled to their feet, and the pewful of schoolchildren in clamorous chorus intoned the final hymn. Antony stood near the organ, absently contemplating, while the rude melody resounded through the church, Rosa's deft manipulation of the keyboard. The rugged lines of his face were relaxed to a vacant, thoughtful limpness, that aged his expression not a little. Now and then, 
as if for reference he glanced questioningly at the girl's profile a few minutes later the service was over and the congregation sauntered out down the aisle a gawky group of men remained loitering by the church door one of them called to antony but nodding curtly he passed on and strode away down the road across the grey upland meadows towards home as soon as he breasted the hill however and was no longer visible from below he turned abruptly to the left along a small swampy hollow till he had reached the lane that led down from the fell side he clambered over a rugged moss-grown wall and stood gazing expectantly down the dark disused roadway then after a moment's hesitation perceiving nobody seated himself beneath the wall on a projecting slab of stone overhead hung a sombre drifting sky a gusty wind rollicked down from the fell huge masses of chilly grey stripped from the last night's mist a few dead leaves fluttered over the stones and from off the fell side there floated the plaintive quavering rumour of many bleating sheep before long he caught sight of two figures coming towards him slowly climbing the hill he sat awaiting their approach fidgeting with his sandy beard and abstractly grinding the ground beneath his feet at the brow they halted plunging his hands deep into his pockets he strolled sheepishly towards them ah good day to you antony called the old man in a shrill breathless voice tis a long hill and my legs are not what they were time was when i'd think naught of a whole day's tramp on twirls i am getting feeble antony that's what tis and if rosa here wasn't the great strong lass she is i don't know how her old uncle'd manage and he turned to the girl with a proud tremulous smile will you take my arm a bit mr blencarn miss rosa'll be tired likely antony asked nay mr garstin but i can manage nicely the girl interrupted sharply antony looked up at her as she spoke she wore a straw hat trimmed with crimson velvet and a black fur-edged cape that seemed to set off mightily the fine whiteness of her neck her large dark eyes were fixed upon him he shifted his feet uneasily and dropped his glance she linked her uncle's arm in hers and the three moved slowly forward old mr blencarn walked with difficulty pausing at intervals for breath Antony, his eyes bent on the ground, sauntered beside him, clumsily kicking at the cobbles that lay in his path. When they reached the vicarage gate, the old man asked him to come inside. "'Not just now, thank you, Mr. Blencarn. I've that lot of lambs to see to before dinner. It's a grand man in this,' he added inconsequently. "'Uncle's bought a nice lot of leghorns Tuesday,' Rosa remarked antony met her gaze there was a grave subdued expression on her face this morning that made her look more of a woman less of a girl ay do you show him the birds rosa i'll be glad to have his opinion on em the old man turned to hobble into the house and rosa as she supported his arm called back over her shoulder i'll not be a minute mr garstin antony strolled round to the yard behind the house and waited watching a flock of glossy white poultry that strutted perkily pecking over the grass-grown cobbles ay miss rosa they're a bonny lot he remarked as the girl joined him are they not she rejoined scattering a handful of corn before her the birds scuttled across the yard with greedy outstretched necks the two stood side by side gazing at them 
"'What did he give for em?' Anthony asked. Fifty-five shillings.' "'Aye,' he assented, nodding absently. "'Was Dr. Sanderson a seeing o' your father yesterday?' he asked, after a moment. "'He came in forenoon. He said he was just no worse.' "'You know, Miss Rosa, as I'm still thinking on ye,' he began abruptly, without looking up. "'I reckon it ain't much use,' she answered shortly, scattering another handful of corn towards the birds. "'I reckon I'll never marry. I'm just weary o' being courted.' "'I wouldn't a-weary ye with courting,' he interrupted. She laughed noisily. "'You are a queer customer, and no mistake.' "'I'm a match for Luch Stock, anyway,' he continued fiercely. "'You think now to take in oop with him? "'About as ranty, wild a young feller as ever stepped.' The girl reddened and bit her lip. "'I don't know what you mean, Mr. Garstin. "'It seems to me you're might hasty in jumping to conclusions.' "'Maybe I can see a thing or two. he retorted doggedly. "'Luke Stock's gone to London, anyway. "'Aye, and a powerful good job, too, in t' opinion of some folks.' "'You're just jealous,' she exclaimed with a forced titter. "'You're just jealous o' Luke Stock.' "'Nay, but you needn't have fill your head with that nonsense. "'I'm too set on you to feel jealousy,' he answered gravely. "'The smile faded from her face, and she murmured.' "'Can I make ye out, Mr. Garstin?' "'Nay, that ye canna. "'And I suppose it's natural, considering ye're little more than a child, "'and I'm almost old enough to be your father,' he retorted with blunt bitterness. "'But ye know your mother's took that dislike to me. "'She'd never abide the sight of me at Toosie.' "'He remained silent a moment, moodily reflecting. "'She'd just had to get o'er it, as he not in that objection,' he declared. "'Nay, Mr. Garstin, it canna be. "'Indeed, it canna be at all. "'You best just put it right from your mind, once and for all.' "'I'd just best put it off my mind, had I? "'You talk like a child,' he burst out scornfully. "'I intend you to come to love me, and I will na take you till you do. "'I'll just go on waiting for you, and mark my words. "'My day'll come at last.' He spoke loudly, in a slow, stubborn voice, and stepped suddenly towards her. With a faint, frightened cry, she shrank back into the doorway of the hen-house. "'You talk like a prophet. You sort of scare me!' He laughed grimly, and paused, reflectively scanning her. He seemed about to continue in the same strain, but instead turned abruptly on his heel, and strode away through the garden gate. Section 4 for three hundred years there had been a Garstin at Hootsey. Generation after generation had tramped the grey stretch of upland, in the springtime scattering their flocks over the fell-sides, and at the back-end on dark winter afternoons driving them home again, down the broad bridle-path that led over the rays. They had been a race of few words, keeping themselves to themselves, as the phrase goes, beholden to no man, filled with a dogged, churlish pride, an upright, old-fashioned race, stubborn, long-lived, rude in speech, slow of resolve. Antony had never seen his father, who had died one night upon the fell-top, he and his shepherd engulfed in the great snowstorm of 1849. Folks had said that he was the only Garstin who had failed to make old man's bones. After his death, jake atkinson from ribblehead in yorkshire 
had come to live at Hootsey. Jake was a fine farmer, a canny bargainer, and very handy among the sheep, till he took to drink, and roistering every week with the town wenches up at Carlisle. He was a corpulent, deep-voiced, free-handed fellow. When his time came, though he died very hardly, he remained festive and convivial to the last. And for years afterwards in the valley his memory lingered. Men spoke of him regretfully, recalling his quips, his feats of strength, and his choice breed of Herdwick rams. But he left behind him a host of debts up at Carlisle, in Penrith, and in almost every market-town, debts that he had long ago pretended to have paid with money that belonged to his sister. The widow Garstin sold the twelve Herdwick rams and nine acres of land. Within six weeks she had cleared off every penny, and for thirteen months on Sundays wore her mourning with a mute forbidding grimness. The bitter thought that, unbeknown to her, Jake had acted dishonestly in money matters, and that he had ended his days in riotous sin, soured her pride, imbued her with a rancorous hostility against all the world. For she was a very proud woman, independent, holding her head high, so folks said, like a gasting, bred and born. And Antony, although some reckoned him quiet and of little account, came to take after her as he grew into manhood. She took into her own hands the management of the Hootsey farm, and set the boy to work for her along with the two farm servants. It was twenty-five years now since his uncle Jake's death. There were grey hairs in his sandy beard, but he still worked for his mother, as he had done when a growing lad. And now that times were grown to be bad, of late years the price of stock had been steadily falling, and the hay harvests had drifted from bad to worse. The widow Garstin no longer kept any labouring men, but lived, she and her son, year in and year out, in a close, parsimonious way. That had been Antony Garstin's life, a dull, eventless sort of business, the sluggish incrustation of monotonous years, and until Rosa Blencarn had come to keep house for her uncle, he had never thought twice on a woman's face. The Garstins had always been good churchgoers, and Antony, for years, had acted as churchwarden. It was one summer evening up at the vicarage, whilst he was checking the offertory account, that he first set eyes upon her. She was fresh back from school at Leeds. She was dressed in a white dress. She looked, he thought, like a London lady. She stood by the window, tall and straight and queenly, dreamily gazing out into the summer twilight, whilst he and her uncle sat over their business. When he rose to go, she glanced at him with quick curiosity. He hurried away, muttering a sheepish good-night. The next time that he saw her was in church on Sunday. He watched her shyly, with a hesitating, reverential discretion. Her beauty seemed to him wonderful, distant, enigmatic. In the afternoon, young Mrs. Forsyth from Longscale dropped in for a cup of tea with his mother, and the two set off gossiping of Rosa Blencarn, speaking of her freely, in tones of acrimonious contempt. For a long while he sat silent, puffing at his pipe, but at last, when his mother concluded with, "'She looks to me fair stuck up, full of toonish airs and graces,' despite himself he burst out, "'You're just wasting your breath with that cackle.' I reckon Miss Blencarn's a different clay to us folks. 
young mrs forsyth tittered immoderately and the next week it was rumoured about the valley that tony garstin was gone loony over to parson's niece but of all this he knew nothing keeping to himself as was his wont and being besides very busy with the hay harvest until one day at dinner-time henry sisson asked if he'd started his courting jacob sowerby cried that tony'd been too slow in getting to work for that the girl had been seen spooning in crosby shores with kirbison the auctioneer and the others there were half a dozen of them lounging round the hay-wagon burst into a boisterous guffaw antony flushed dully looking hesitatingly from one to the other then slowly put down his beer-can and of a sudden seizing jacob by the neck swung him heavily on the grass he fell against the wagon-wheel and when he rose the blood was streaming from an ugly cut in his forehead and henceforward tony garstin's courtship was the common jest of all the parish as yet however he had scarcely spoken to her though twice he had passed her in the lane that led up to the vicarage she had given him a frank friendly smile but he had not found the resolution to do more than lift his hat he and henry sisson stacked the hay in the yard behind the house there was no further mention made of rosa blencarn but all day long antony as he knelt thatching the rick brooded over the strange sweetness of her face and on the fell-top while he tramped after the ewes over the dry crackling heather and as he jogged along the narrow rickety road driving his cartload of lambs into the auction mart thus as the week slipped by he was content with blunt wistful ruminations upon her indistinct image jacob sowerby's accusation and several kindred innuendos let fall by his mother left him coolly incredulous the girl still seemed to him altogether distant but from the first sight of her face he had evolved a stolid unfaltering conception of her difference from the ruck of her sex but one evening as he passed the vicarage on his way down from the fells she called to him and with a childish confiding familiarity asked for advice concerning the feeding of the poultry in his eagerness to answer her as best he could he forgot his customary embarrassment and grew for the moment almost voluble and quite at his ease in her presence directly her flow of questions ceased however the returning perception of her rosy hesitating smile and of her large deep eyes looking straight into his face perturbed him strangely and reddening he remembered the quarrel in the hayfield and the tale of crosby shores after this the poultry became a link between them a link which he regarded in all seriousness blindly unconscious that there was aught else to bring them together only feeling himself in awe of her because of her schooling her townish manners her ladylike mode of dress and soon he came to take a sturdy secret pride in her friendly familiarity towards him several times a week he would meet her in the lane and they would loiter a moment together she would admire his dogs though he assured her earnestly that they were but sorry curs and once laughing at his staidness she nicknamed him mr churchwarden that the girl was not liked in the valley he suspected curtly attributing her unpopularity to the women's senseless jealousy of gossip concerning her he had heard no further hint but instinctively and partly from that rugged natural reserve of his shrank from mentioning her name even incidentally to his mother 
now on sunday evenings he often strolled up to the vicarage each time quitting his mother with the same awkward affectation of casualness and on his return becoming vaguely conscious of how she refrained from any comment on his absence and appeared oddly oblivious to the existence of parson blencarn's niece she had always been a sour-tongued woman but as the days shortened with the approach of the long winter months she seemed to him to grow more fretful than ever at times it was almost as if she bore him some smouldering sullen resentment he was of stubborn fibre however toughened by long habit of oblique unruly climate he revolved the matter in his mind deliberately and when at last after much plodding thought it dawned upon him that she resented his acquaintance with rosa blencarn he accepted the solution with an unflinching phlegm and merely shifted his attitude towards the girl calculating each day the likelihood of his meeting her and making in her presence persistent efforts to break down once for all the barrier of his own timidity he was a man not to be clumsily driven still less so he prided himself a man to be craftily led it was close upon christmas time before the crisis came his mother was just home from penrith market the spring cart stood in the yard the old grey horse was steaming heavily in the still frosty air i reckon you've come fast told horse is over hot he remarked bluntly as he went to the animal's head she clambered down hastily and coming to his side began breathlessly you ought to have come to market tony there's been pretty goings on in penrith to-day i was helping anna forsyth to choose six yards of sheeting in dockroy when we sees rosa blencarn come out to the bell and bullock in company with kirbison and young joe smethick smethick was fair reeling drunk and kirbison and t girl were a-holding on to him to keep him for falling and then after a bit he puts his arm round the girl to steady hisself and that fashion they goes off right up to public street he continued to unload the packages and to carry them mechanically one by one into the house each time when he reappeared she was standing by the steaming horse busy with her tail and on t road hum we passed three of them in kirbison's trap with smethick leering tin bottom singing maudlin songs they were passing dunscale village and folks come running out to the houses to see em go past he led the cart away towards the stable leaving her to cry the remainder after him across the yard half an hour later he came in for his dinner during the meal not a word passed between them and directly he had finished he strode out of the house about nine o'clock he returned lit his pipe and sat down to smoke it over the kitchen fire where have you been tony she asked up to vicarage courting he retorted defiantly with his pipe in his mouth this was ten months ago ever since he had been doggedly waiting that evening he had set his mind on the girl he intended to have her and while his mother jibed as she did now upon every opportunity his patience remained grimly unflagging she would remind him that the farm belonged to her that he would have to wait till her death before he could bring the hussy to hootsey he would retort that as soon as the girl would have him he intended taking a small holding over at scarsdale then she would give way and for a while piteously upbraid him with her old age and with the memory of all the years she and he had spent together and he would comfort her with a display of brusque evasive remorse but none the less on the morrow 
his thoughts would return to dwell on the haunting vision of the girl's face while in his rude credulous chivalry kindled by the recollection of her beauty stifled his misgivings concerning her conduct meanwhile she dallied with him and amused herself with the younger men her old uncle fell ill in the spring and could scarcely leave the house she declared that she found life in the valley intolerably dull that she hated the quiet of the place that she longed for leeds and the exciting bustle of the streets and in the evenings she wrote long letters to the girlfriend she had left behind there describing with petulant vivacity her tribe of rustic admirers at the harvest time she went back on a fortnight's visit to friends the evening before her departure she promised antony to give him her answer on her return but instead she avoided him pretended to have promised in jest and took up with luke stock a cattle dealer from wigton end of antony garstin's courtship by hubert crackenthorpe part four